This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong. The pleasure, as always, of being with our Transitions Life Care friends, Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Mary, how are you today? Doing well. It's February. Yeah, yes. we, we've made it to February. Sam, how are you? I'm good, and I'm excited for our next guest because I'm actually lined up to get my COVID vaccine this week. Woo-hoo! So I'm excited to get some questions answered for myself, too. Yes. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, we are very excited to talk with Dr. Jason Wittes. He is the pharmacy director at Wake County Human Services, a very busy man. Dr. Wittes, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today. Oh, not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we first want to thank you. I know that this is no easy task, organizing the effort across Wake County, and you and your team have been working tirelessly for our community. So thank you so much for everything that you guys are doing. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, definitely. So we know the goal and <laughs> what everyone's looking forward to is everyone being vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, but we hear about a lot of the supply issues across the nation. How many doses has Wake County received so far? And what does that future of vaccine supply look like in our county? Sure. So as of yesterday, we received a total of 17,550 doses. Yesterday was our um, increase in dose base allocation to 3,900 doses. So you might have seen that uh, where we have gotten a the highest amount that we've ever received for first doses. Of those 17,550, 11,700 were for first doses. So that means we've been able to vaccinate at Wake County Public Health alone 11,700 people. Wow. Wow. And quick follow-up there, are the hospitals and nursing homes included in that allocation, or is that separate from those that we're receiving at the county level? Sure. So we're getting, so so we're one uh, provider from the state, and then the hospital systems have their own allocation. So as a whole, we've received over 50,000 doses. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head of the breakdown between first and second. And then the long-term care facilities is a program managed by um, the federal pharmacy program with CBS and Walgreens. I'm not sure the total number of doses that they've um, given at this point, because that is a separate um, you know, project. However, they have received the Moderna product. Um, for that, we've received here at Wake County only the Pfizer product. We are open to receiving both products, though, as long as it means more doses. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we know there's been a lot of anxiety, too, around our independent population of 75 and older getting access to the vaccine, and definitely even more so now that it's opened up for 65 and up. Uh, So who can receive the vaccine at this point? And do you have any tips or tricks on how to navigate, you know, the Internet, phone, waiting lists? I know my grandmother's in another state, but she doesn't have access to Internet. So we were able to make an appointment for her. Is that something someone can do for a loved one? Yeah, absolutely. So we knew that even in group one. So right now who's active to come in mm-hmm. is group one and group two. Group one is all of our healthcare workers, home health aides, home health workers, um, people at the medical examiner's office, um, long-term care staff and residents, as well as group two. So those who are 65 and older, regardless of underlying medical conditions. 
I agree, and I understand it's a frustrating process. It's frustrating for us here as well because it's not a centralized process, sort of top-down from the federal level to the state level to us here at the county. Mm-hmm. So sort of everyone is on their on their own in terms of trying to um, set up appointment schedules, things like that. We here in Wake County have done a concerted effort with our great hospital partners to try and coordinate some of that care and try to, try to set up appointments with each other. Now, with that being said, though, we're all our own independent agencies. Mm-hmm. So we at the county have received the um, set up our waitlist system. So we have over 90,000 people now who have identified as group one or group two, uh, the vast majority of which are in group two, which are those 65 plus. And we are activating people to come in and get scheduled on our appointments when we have a guaranteed dose for that population. So when you schedule an appointment with us or with any of our hospital partners, they have been scheduling you out and knowing that they have a first dose for you and then a second dose for you at the minimum three weeks later. But it's, con- it's confusing, right? So yes. I would recommend that you sign up for each hospital system or, or partner mm-hmm. um, because you're going to see more partner agencies in the community as well getting vaccine um, in the next few weeks as well. Um, and for us here at the county, the phone number is 919-250-1515. There might be, you know, there's 90,000 people on the wait list, so mm-hmm. people want to schedule their appointments, but definitely reach out to that line. There might be a small hold but the customer service there has really been great, and that's that's one of the things that we're really striving for because we know it's frustrating, um, and we're just trying to, to ask, A, ask for patience, and B, um, you know, know that when we do invite you, that means there's a dose. Now, counter to that, if you do sign up at WakeMed, and WakeMed offers you an appointment, don't feel like you have to reach out to us. Just ignore our email when we say you've been activated to come to us. Um, you know, we will not be upset that you got your vaccine. <laughs> that's great. Those are great tips and tricks. Is it a true first come first serve mentality on this wait list that you mentioned? Are you or are you prioritizing by age or risk factors? What does that wait list look like? Sure. So the wait list, obviously, we have group one and group two separated out. Some of our hospital partners have said, "Send us, you know, two thousand people." WakeMed said, "Send us two thousand people in group one." Um, so we feel pretty confident that we're getting close to done in a group one population as a whole for the county. There still are a few thousand people who need to go, but when you're looking at a population of 180,000 people in group one and group two, um, we feel pretty confident there. Um, In terms of prioritizing by age and risk factors, so for age, we are prioritizing 75 plus over 65 plus, and that's due to the death rate. And then when we talk about risk factors, we're not talking about individual risk factors like you might see in later groups. So, you know, whether you have cancer or diabetes or underlying medical conditions, it's more of a population health perspective. So Mm -hmm. we're looking at incidents and rates of COVID-19 by zip code, and those will change week over week, right? So Mm -hmm. if we see some areas that have consistent positivity rates of 16 to 20%, those are the zip codes that we're targeting. Mm-hmm. So many of our listeners are caregivers, and they're not necessarily nurses or over 65. Does being a caregiver allow you to get this vaccine currently? Yeah, so if you are a home health giver, home health aide, you would cl- classify as a group one by the state's definition. So I would ask that you proceed to our website, um, wakegov.com slash vaccine, or call 919-250-1515, attest that you are in that group one because you are absolutely in that group. And that some of that language is also unclear um, from the beginning because we've, we've pivoted as a state so many times to mm-hmm. sort of establish these groups and phases. Definitely. 
So I know a question I kind of have as I get prepared to go get my vaccine later this week. Uh, what do I need to bring to my appointment? Do I need to have my insurance card? Is it going to cost me anything to get the vaccine? Yeah, that's a great question. So here at Wake County, you do not need to provide any sort of form of identification. So there's no ID requirement. You will be self-attesting to your name and date of birth, which Secretary Cohen had put out from the beginning that this is all on the honor system. Um, and you know, if you have a history of anaphylaxis or you know, you'll be able to share with us your underlying medical conditions, so and answering some pretty basic health screening questions. Um, but other than that, you don't really need to bring anything. It's a good idea to maybe, if you want to provide, or make sure you have readily available your appointment schedule so we can make sure that you're, you'll help with the registration process also ahead of time people would have received a link to not only schedule their appointment, but also register with the state's CVMS system. So if you have access to the to a computer at home, please register online ahead of time because it'll save you a couple minutes, probably around five minutes once you're here. Um, but other than that, nope, just come ready and eager and ready to have a happy day when you get your vaccine, when you, once you, once you have a shot for you. Good to know. Absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, Dr. Wittes, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Uh, the website is wakegov.com slash vaccine, wakegov.com slash vaccine. And the phone number that Dr. Wittes gave out is 919-250-1515, 919-250-1515. Again, Dr. Jason Wittes, Pharmacy Director at Wake County Human Services. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, and thank you for all the work you're doing here. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Hey, don't forget you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we're now going to turn to a conversation of technology. And, you know, as we continue to deal with COVID and, um, you know, the vaccines are starting to ramp up a little bit, which is great, but we still got a bit of ways to go. So that means we're still going to have to continue with our social distancing. And with that comes, uh, you know, we've gotten more familiar with these video conferencing tools and to have a thorough discussion about that. We've brought on Eileen Book. She is a uh, member of Triangle Tech Works and she helps provide technology assistance for older adults. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
You know, something that I, I've heard far too often during COVID is the famous, you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time. <laughs> As we have kind of shifted yeah. to this like virtual platforms and seeing people via Zoom and I trying to coach my grandpa over mm. the phone to turn himself off mute has been very fun. Um, but Eileen, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the tools that are out there now for video conferencing, um, especially during COVID as people are trying to sw- uh, switch over to virtual platforms and still see their loved ones? Sure. Well, obviously, the most well-known and popular is Zoom, and it is a wonderful way to stay in touch with family, friends, healthcare, take a class, attend a meeting, um, take yoga, uh, go be online with your church services and activities there, Bible study. So once someone sort of gets it once, they're okay, and you're right. The little... Uh, items like you're muted or your <laughs> video is off. Um, sometimes it just takes a little phone call to that person at the time. Okay, turn. see the little red line on the mic? Okay, click on that. And, <laughs> and that's pretty easy to do. And it depends on what they're using, a phone, a tablet, a desktop, to where that little mic is and where the video may be. So if you can help them a little bit ahead of time, that certainly helps them from getting scared or frustrated when they they just feel stuck when they've gotten to a certain point and then don't know what to do. And I usually will practice right with my clients. I say, okay, I'm going to send you an email right now and invite you to a Zoom. And I'll do it right in the room with them. I'll have to move back a little bit so I don't have, you know, an echo. But Mm -hmm. once they get it one time, they're pretty good after that. Mm-hmm. I will say, once you get the hang of it, it gets a little bit easier each time. Mm-hmm. Easier. So yes, are some of these does. tools yes. only available for like iPhones or certain tablets? I know when talking, you know, with some of my friends or family members, they may not be iPhone users. Um, can they use a yes. laptop or a desktop computer as well? They, you can do Zoom on anything, an Android, iOS device. Um, pretty much any device. The one device that is a little bit complicated is the Chromebook. Um, mm. That doesn't work really well. It's it's possible, but it's it's not one that is best to do Zoom on for some reason. And many older adults have Chromebooks because they're they're small and mm. they're inexpensive. And family members will say, "Oh, let's get Grandma a Chromebook." Um, so that's one that's a little bit tricky to use, but. They can certainly use it on their phone. They're not going to see, you know, five of the grandkids easily on a phone. So I usually say do it on your laptop or a desktop or anything that has the biggest screen. (laughs) And the (laughs) iPad um, or a tablet is fine. Mm You know, you mentioned iPads and tablets. You know, for for myself, Apple is kind of what I've always gone with. I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, a MacBook, and I'm loyal. (laughs) To me, it's a lot Mm -hmm. easier, and it seems a little more operator friendly. But I know that to so many other people who have never had an Apple product, it could be a little bit more intimidating and difficult. What is your experience with that? Do you Mm -hmm. think it's easier for someone to Um, um, stick to what they know, or is it is it hard to get into the Apple world and and kind of open up that? Well, I have a complete apple orchard myself. I, <laughs> I love that I term. My iPhone, <laughs> when I first got an iPhone many years ago, that's what initiated my passion and love of technology. I fell in love with it. So Apple is my 
prime go-to company, and it is much more intuitive and user-friendly. I'm not trying to do a commercial <laughs> than the other devices the, that begin with the A, the Android. I will always encourage any older adults to buy an iPhone. Apple makes iPhones for people that are blind, that are oh, deaf. Wow. They have so much accessibility in that phone already built in that we as seeing and hearing people don't even know. So people that are totally blind can use an iPhone. So I will always recommend an iPhone over anything else. Um, it's it's pretty user-friendly, and there's, also, there's always great support for it. And, of course, since that's all that I have, I can usually screen share. I can send mm-hmm. them screenshots. I can... I can do TeamView. I can access their infor- their phone and help them. So I think the iOS devices are much easier for older adults. And now they're less expensive. You can mm-hmm. get a brand new iPhone SC 2020 for $399 and maybe less with your <laughs> carrier. <laughs> so it's not necessarily more expensive. Mm-hmm. Not too shabby. I had no idea they had some of those extra benefits. Right. Uh, that's amazing. Oh, yes. Yes. I I really teach Siri a lot to older adults. You know, she's nice Tell to talk Siri to. Siri to do everything for you, so you don't have to dial a number. You you can have it dial for you, find directions for you, give you the weather, open a song, open your book, open a podcast, read your text message, read your email. Mm-hmm. Wow. Siri's gotten a lot less formal with me lately. She's gone from saying like, yes, when I ask her things to saying, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I wonder if we're just becoming better friends. Maybe. <laughs> well, I have mine set to an Australian man's voice. And whenever I have it on navigation, it says, oh, Eileen, turn right on 540. I love that. 540. Okay. <laughs> So kind of pivoting a little bit and talking about some techno- some of these same technologies in healthcare, you know, I know for us at Transitions, we've been working to do a lot of stuff through telehealth visits and telemedicine too. I know a lot of providers are doing that. So uh, when a healthcare provider wants to set up a call, how are those accessed? Is, do you think telemedicine's kind of around for good now? Yes, it's definitely here to stay because who wants to go get in their car and sit in the lobby, especially if you mm-hmm. don't feel well, and then wait to see your doctor? So you don't have to drive. You don't have to wait in the lobby and be exposed to more. You can sit right in the comfort of your home and talk to your doctor just the way you would in an examining room. And especially for older adults that may not have transportation easily now. Um, so, yes, telehealth is the way now it's it's part of our system and it is extremely helpful and usually if an older adult has trouble with the video part of it they Mm -hmm. will call them and sometimes give them a few little steps ahead of time to do it but i have done my share of it and it's pretty easy if they can just get to that email or um, get to that link and click on it. It's pretty self-explanatory. They use sometimes they use a little different um, platforms for it, but it is here to stay, and it's it's a wonderful way to get your expert advice um, in your living room. Yeah, such a great tool. I know, you know, myself. The last thing I want to do is go sit in a doctor's office mm-hmm. when I'm not feeling good. So right. it's a great alternative right. to that for yeah. sure. So let's talk about passwords a little bit. 
And dad, if you're listening, I'm calling you out. You're notorious for it and you know it. He is known yes. to set up accounts and set up passwords and forget them a mere week later and yes. go in and lock himself out of the account. Mm-hmm. So do you have maybe yes. some helpful yes. tips you can impart to him on what are good ways to keep well, track of passwords? Well, first of all, write it down. I know they will write it down on little scratches of pieces of paper here and there, and their sticky notes all stuck to their computers and all over their desk. When I actually visit a client, I keep in my little backpack multiple little notebooks, and I say, we're going to start at day one with your very first important password, okay? Your Apple ID and your password, absolutely important. Let's write it down. And if they don't know it, it's so easy to reset passwords. Mm-hmm. And if I, if they're going to reset a password, I said, make it something that's easy to type in. I don't mean that it's not uncomplicated. Don't write in um, your name and your birth date <laughs> and your address. Just make up something. Uh, I love my, my daughter Mary exclamation point. Something they can type in easily and remember. A line of a song. Something that relates to them that can't easily be hacked, but they're putting in, you know, things related to themselves or something like, um, I love my dog. And those are hackable. Um, there are password managers. I know that word sounds kind of scary, but it really isn't. LastPass and OnePass are so easy to use. Download, install it, and then every time you go to a website, it said, would you like us to remember this in LastPass? Yes. Mm-hmm. Then they create one big password. Everything is all in one place. Their Medicare, their Social Security, their their doctor's portal, their bank, their credit cards, and they only have to go to that one place to go into all of the sites that they use regularly, and they're saved forever. And what they can do, they could set you up as an emergency contact. Heaven forbid something happens to them, you have access to all of those passwords. And there's they don't make it easy for that to happen, but... Mm -hmm. Something happens. I know I want my children to know where all my money is. I've got money in Venmo and PayPal and Southwest Miles and Apple Pay. I have money everywhere. I want them to have access to it and have it all. Yeah, that's great advice, keeping everything centralized and even making sure that uh, there is a backup person involved who can gain access. Those are some wonderful tips. She is Eileen Book with Triangle Tech Works, and she helps provide technology assistance for older adults. Eileen, these were some wonderful tips. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. 
If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here, of course, with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson and now we're going to have a, a very interesting conversation about hearing impairment. And I, I think when we have this discussion, we think of uh, just kind of the basic implications of maybe having to repeat yourself to a loved one or having to speak louder or, uh, you know, that kind of awkward conversation where you think someone understands you but not quite. But, you know, there are other very serious implications that go along with hearing impairment. And to discuss that, we have on Bob Kiefer. He is the founder and owner of Now Hear This. It's a clinic focusing in hearing aids and audiology, and uh, Bob's also an author as well. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you so much. So, Bob, we know that hearing loss can be just so frustrating, but I can imagine that there are a lot of other implications as well. So knowing that there are some balancing mechanisms in our ears, can hearing impairment be a factor in fall risks? Absolutely. People with um, untreated hearing loss uh, are known by scientists to have up to 500% higher risk of falls with broken bones along with um, uh, dementia, including Alzheimer's and uh, clinical depression. Interesting. So how would one tell the difference between something like dementia and hearing loss? You know, you, you, you talk about these signs of aging and, and regular signs of aging, but how would one tell the difference if they're just having a problem with their hearing and, or there's actual dementia risk or something else going on? The um, diagnosis of dementia would depend upon other factors than just simple uh, not <laughs> than just simply hearing loss or not being able to understand or interpret someone else what uh, someone else is saying. Dementia is a complicated um, disease involving the brain af- actual changes in the brain f- uh, function and the nerves. There, um, does that help? Yes, definitely, definitely. So we know, too, that during COVID connections, we've been doing a lot of stuff virtually through a lot of phone calls. I know I've been doing a lot of phone calls to my grandmother, um, but I know that for someone who's hard of hearing or has a hearing impairment, that can be really difficult for them. So could that lead to some possible depression or other mental health issues? Anytime that uh, the human being is... um, uh, unable to communicate with other people and cannot connect with other people's emotions and feelings. Um, This has consequences. It's uh, uh, consequences for their, um, uh, their lifestyle, their quality of life, and ultimately affects their, their brain function as well. Um, it, all of this is still subject to more research, but it, it is several very important and highly esteemed clinical studies a few years ago 
on thousands of patients at Johns Hopkins mm. showed that people with hearing loss have five, up to five times the risk of uh, dementia, including wow. Alzheimer's. Wow, I just never thought to, you know, put those things together and those risk factors together. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I can imagine, you know, not being able to hear when you're in a conversation. I know that I have a lot of trouble. It causes anxiety, not, not feeling like you're a part of the conversation or that you're missing things. And um, it's been even harder with uh, COVID. Everyone's got masks on and oh you, my can't, gosh, yeah, you <laughs> can't read lips anymore. And I, that's something that I didn't realize I relied so heavily mm-hmm. on. And I can't imagine being with you know, a hearing impairment and, and trying to work through those things as well. And what's interesting is that um, when we don't hear something correctly, um, we, our brain goes into what you might call cognitive overload. Mm. It's, let, let's say that it's missing a key word in what uh, someone just said, and your brain is trying to figure out what they just said, mm. and then um, they kind of miss the rest of the conversation. And so when they circle back a few minutes later and ask some questions, you know, the the person they're engaged with or talking to, with says, Bob seems to be losing it, you <laughs> know, or Mary seems to be losing it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. So a lot of people wait a while to look into hearing aids mm-hmm. because of the way they look or the way they feel, or it takes a long time to get adjusted to them. Has technology improved more recently as, you know, as the industry evolves? And how long does it take to get used to something like having a hearing aid to help you with hearing impairments? Gee whiz, there's several questions in there. <laughs> I mean, first of the the average is that uh, people wait seven years before they do something about wow. their hearing loss. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah right. And um, what were your other questions? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, it, it just t- How long does it take for someone, once they get a hearing aid, how long ah. does it take for someone to get used to having a hearing aid? Is there some sort of um, time period there with adjustments? And Good. Um, I can speak to personal experience on mm-hmm. this one because I use hearing aids. Um it, it, first of all, it depends on how well they are adjusting. You know, mm-hmm. hearing aids get a, a bad rap, um, an undeserved, uh, poor reputation. Mm-hmm. They are actually fabulous of medical devices and so tiny that, that people don't even see that, um, you, you could be wearing them. Uh, they've got, they can adjust for different, uh, life situations such as the busy restaurants where it's hard to screen out, you know, Mm -hmm. understand other people in in background noise. Uh, So it depends on how well they are adjusted. Um, But then second, as to how long it it takes to get um, uh, adjusted to them, it's a matter of days, you know, uh, uh, maybe a couple of weeks um in in my case um i think when you start hearing some when i started hearing some sounds i hadn't heard for years um i i found myself looking around saying where did that noise come from you know and it was just a daily life you know yeah you don't even you don't even hear some things uh i mean just 
such as walking across your own room. Well, you might say, well, geez, I don't really want to hear that. But that all of those noises inform our brain as to where we are in the room and how close we are to walls and how close we are to other people. Uh, If we don't know this, um, if our brains don't recognize Mm -hmm. it, all of a sudden um, it can kind of affect our vestibular system Mm. and we might fall uh, uh, suddenly, which, um, you know, so often, uh, especially as we grow older, you know, falls with broken bones can um, lead to very difficult treat uh, infections and long mm-hmm. hospital stays as well. Absolutely, which is definitely some topics we've covered before. Okay. So you mentioned, too, that a lot of times people will wait up to seven years uh, to look into hearing aids. So when is the right time for someone to consult an audiologist? Sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, sooner rather than later, because the audiologist can tell us what frequencies and what sounds we might be missing. The human voice is arguably the most important sound um, that that humans hear, and we have to be able to understand it. Well, the human voice ranges has an extraordinarily dynamic and big range of uh, of sounds ranging from deep uh, voices such as myself uh, all the way up to um, the wonderful sounds of flutes and um, uh, and high-pitched noises, uh, sounds, and uh, parts of speech like P's and T's and Mm -hmm. K's that are important uh, vowels to hear in in someone's speech and help us differentiate and, and understand what other people are saying. If you're not picking up those frequencies, uh, you've got more serious problems than one you might even suspect. Bob, we've got uh, a short amount of time here, but I did want to get one more question in. You know, so many of our visits to uh, various doctors and specialists are, are uh, dictated by insurance. We know we get a annual exam with our physician, uh, maybe an annual eye exam or uh, visiting the dentist two times a year. How often should we be having our hearing checked? I would say, I mean, I think an audiologist would say it depends on the severity of the hearing loss, um, but uh, at least once every three or four years, and with respect to insurance, that's a major issue in, in the hearing business because Medicare doesn't even cover hearing aids. And furthermore, doesn't um, uh, cover the professional quality um, audiological care as well, which is just undermines um, people's ability to access hearing aids in a major way. Fewer than... Fewer than 20% of Americans with hearing loss actually own hearing aids that they use every day. Wow, that is uh, uh, very unfortunate to hear. Uh, And, Bob, I'm sorry, we are out of time, but I do want to thank Bob Kiefer for joining us. He is the founder and owner of Now Hear This. You can find more about them online at nowhearthisclinic.com. Here spelled H-E-A-R, Now Hear This Clinic. 
Com. A quick break and back with more. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson and... Uh, we had a wonderful discussion earlier in the show with Eileen Buck about uh, video conferencing and the use of technology and uh, wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we really stress the importance of communication and how critical that is right now. Absolutely. You know, we are seeing this huge shift in telehealth and telemedicine, and there's so much confusion around it. And Eileen did a great job explaining some of these platforms that people mm-hmm. are using, Zoom and WebEx and, you know, all these different things all that we, we, we just haven't had that much experience with, and especially when you're doing things like telehealth and telemedicine. And I think communicating with your healthcare professional is so weird over yes, a video. It's so strange. I know, you know, in talking about that, we recently went through, my grandmother had a hospitalization, And it was such a different experience because no one was obviously able to go and be there at the hospital and Mm -hmm. communicate with the case managers or her physician. So, you know, we were reliant on catching them by phone and trying to get the questions answered we needed. So Mm -hmm. I I know it can be very challenging at times. Absolutely. And when someone's in the room or like joins a joins the call from another place, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't able to be with their loved ones, but want to be a part of the conversation. If there's a hard diagnosis or um, or the loved one is having a hard time understanding what their diagnosis means and they invite in another family member, um, there can be extra people in the room. And and how um, do you communicate with your healthcare professional when there's multiple people part of this Zoom call? So we wanted to touch on that a little bit today. Yeah, we wanted to try to share some tips on how to communicate with healthcare professionals in the most efficient and effective way for you and your loved ones. So one of the first thing is to kind of establish, make sure that professional, be it the doctor, a case manager at the hospital, or a social worker, whomever, understands what your role is. So if your loved one's not able or maybe willing to take instruction, make sure that the doctor, whoever you're talking to, tells you all the vital information you need to know. Mm -hmm. I know that was crucial for my grandmother. She was 92 very confused, you know, tired, and she wasn't really able to accurately communicate with us what was going on with her. So we were very reliant on talking directly to her physician. And he did a great job at contacting us and giving us updates throughout the day. Absolutely. I think in being open about it, you know, I'm the healthcare power of attorney mm-hmm. in this pla- in in this relationship or yes. I'm the wife or I'm the husband and I want to know everything that's going on and what and what our plan of care is and getting all of those details and having those open conversations for all roles in the room. Definitely. Um, I think also that's kind of leads us into education about your loved one's condition mm-hmm. or what's going on. You know, the internet the internet is a great tool, but you can get in a Google frenzy yeah. and get, get real worked up. Don't get on that WebMD, I'm telling you. <laughs> yes. I think that sticking to asking specific questions to your doctor, if you want to understand something or you know, taking notes. I, my dad yes. is very good about bringing a notepad to all of our appointments and, and really taking notes so that, you know, when that 
that appointment is happening, sometimes it can be a, a, a lot. It can be overwhelming. There's a lot of anxiety. So being able to leave with a notepad and reviewing that, it really does help to go back and look yes, at it. I'm mm-hmm. a huge note taker. I can't retain anything unless I write it down. So that's definitely something I utilize for myself. Um, Another thing that's really good is to keep some records of your loved one's habits. So take note um, what they're sleeping, eating, medication habits, and then maybe any emotional episodes they've been having. Mm -hmm. As detailed as you can be with that information really helps paint a picture for your doctor to offer your loved one the best course of treatment for them. My grandpa is great at this. (laughs) His medication list is in an Excel spreadsheet. Wow. <laughs> it has doses and he pulls out that sheet every week and and it makes it easier because when he's having a bad day or he's a little bit confused, his nurse is able to look at his sheet and say, hey, let's make our week of medication and, and space it out and put it in the little containers. And it's just nice to have. But beyond just him doing that, it's easy for us to take it into an appointment yes, with us and say, this is, ex- yeah, this is where this is what he's taking. It's all in this beautiful Excel spreadsheet. We can change Love it and it. mark through it if we need to change it. It's just makes life so much That's easier. amazing. I'm going to share that one with my family. We've been trying to do some med rec for my grandmother and it's, she, you know, every time she gets discharged or sees the doctor, she's got a different list. So it's hard to keep up with. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that it's also important to take time to make decisions about your care. Yes. You know, it, if it's not an emergency situation or life-threatening, take the time to talk to your family, talk to your loved ones. Your doctor certainly understands if you need to leave and just say, hey, we're going to come back to you on this. Um, and request a different time to talk to talk to the physician uh, about your condition and, mm-hmm. and take the time you need. You know, yeah. it's you're not in a rush, and it's important to make sure that it's a family family decision. Definitely, mm-hmm. and kind of talking about making those family decisions too. I think one helpful thing to do is to appoint one family member as the main contact. I know we we kind of did this for my grandmother because it did get confusing. There's multiple siblings, and you know, it got a little confusing. Who do we call for what? So if you have one person who's that point of contact, then they can spread out that info to everyone else. It really makes it a lot easier for not only the providers, but for you too to make sure you're getting accurate and updated info. Too many cooks in the kitchen is a mess. It is. (laughs) I've definitely been in that place Mm -hmm. before. Um, I think it's also important to to get a second opinion if you need one. You know, you don't have to stick with uh, the physician you're seeing. It's always out there that you can change physicians, um, seek out a different practice altogether. Um, You know, professionally, emotionally, it's important that you feel good about where you're at with your physician. So if you don't, it's okay to change. It is. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, may have been seeing a physician for a long time or, you know, may feel loyal to one over the other. But, you know, it's kind of like dating, I say sometimes, (laughs) if you kind of get a feeling this really isn't working. You know, we are lucky to live in an area where we're blessed with so many expert providers that it's okay to seek out that second opinion if if it um, is something you're interested in. Yes, exactly. You know, something I want to talk on before we end the show uh, is you're getting your COVID vaccine this week. (laughs) Sam has had COVID. I have. Mm -hmm. um, And is so fortunate with your role at Transitions that you're able to get the vaccine this week. And um, I just want to wish you the best of luck. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, as you mentioned, I did have COVID. I was thankful it was a very mild case, mm-hmm. um, but it you know makes me all the more excited to get the vaccine and just kind of take a 
feel like I'm stepping toward normalcy some a little bit. So fingers for that. The light at the end of the tunnel. I I myself have gotten the vaccine in a clinical trial, and um, I just feel so much less anxiety. And I can, you know, go to the grocery store. And while I'm still wearing my mask and following all the appropriate protocols, I think it's important um, to do all those things still. But I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, it's coming. Yeah. So next week we have a really awesome show, and we're going to talk to Sam after. After she gets her vaccine, a little bit yes. about her experience. But we also have the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services Secretary, Dr. Cohen, on the call, um, along with um, some leadership from Wake Med to talk about our hospital systems and how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of our own leadership, Dr. Patel, who's our chief medical officer at Transitions Life Care, will be here as well. So yeah. I'm really excited, Sam, to talk to you next yeah. week on the other side of your first have vaccine. A good update. Yes. And we look forward to talking to all of our other guests next week as well. Yeah. Please join us again next Saturday at 4 right here on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Don't forget if you missed any part of this episode or previous episodes, you can go online to WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button and there you'll find the Aging Matters section and you can view all the episodes that you may have missed. You can listen to them. It's a wonderful way to catch up and uh, relive some of the great information that was jam-packed into today's show and previous shows we are out of time for today on behalf of mary lucas and sam peterson i am jason kong thanking you for listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic have a great weekend you've been listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf for more information log on to transitionslifecare.org